Warning, the following audio contains explicit language. Please listen at your own discretion. This podcast was recorded on October 27th, 2020. The views and opinions expressed herein are as of the date recorded and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities. Such views and opinions may differ from those of DoubleLine Capital or of its affiliates and are subject to change without notice. DoubleLine has no obligation to provide any updates or changes. everybody welcome to the sherman show i'm jeff sherman here with my co-host sam lau hey hey we're a little muffled today if you're listening to the audio because we're masked up here in downtown los angeles seven days prior to the election in 2020 so we thought who better to bring to you than none none other than anthony scaramucci a returning guest a download champion a fan favorite welcome to the show anthony keep going jeff okay so anthony sounds weird I know my mom is way more long-winded than that, and she wrote all that stuff for you, yeah. so keep going. Right. What are you okay, doing? so as Mrs. Okay. Scaramucci okay. says, he prefers to be called the Mooch. You know, um, he's the founder, managing partner, Skybridge Capital. Um, you may have known him as um, the 11-day tenured White House communications director. I love your tweet, 11 days in, saying there's a Scaramucci left. Brilliant. Uh, I love how you've handled it. That's why I think people love you. You're an honest gentleman. Um, you've done your May culpa and you're here to tell us about what the state of the world is. So those of you that are listening to audio and you want to see the Mooch live, you know, go to our YouTube channel, youtube.com backslash double line capital. And you can see the video and you can see us all masked up talking to the Mooch. So kick us off. Let's just start right here. I see you're adjusting the camera. I'm adjusting the camera. Now that I know we're on video, oh. I got to look right. I mean, it's not, okay. it's not, the hair like looks good. Day. It's not how you feel. Yeah. It's how you look, Jeffrey. Okay, that's it's right. Not, and you're still wearing Daniels, that beautiful. That. You're still wearing that beautiful American pendant. I remember commenting <laughs> yeah. it at your salt conference uh, about 18 months ago. I think it was the last time we taught me. Yeah, 16 my, or so. my wife gave that to me. It's a good luck charm. Yeah, kept me safe. So, so but, uh, first of all, I appreciate being on. And second of all, not everybody does love me. By the way, the Trump acolytes not in love with me. Just so you know, the Russian robots on Twitter not in love with me. You know, they come at me like a, a group of robotic piranhas. But the good news is I have an opinion uh, and I encourage other people to have an opinion and we should get back to a more civil society where we can share our opinions. We can agree or not agree. We were just talking about somebody that I disagree with, but I have an enormous amount of respect for. We can, we can do that and move on. What's the big deal? And I think that's why we want to have you here. We respect uh, people's opinions. We have an open forum. And what we want to do is kind of get your opinion on some things today. So how's life? Let's just start off personally. How are you doing? You feeling better? You feeling good? Well, I mean, you know, life is fabulous. I guess what you're, when you say, am I feeling better? You're implying, am I feeling better after I got my ass kicked out of Washington and blown into Pennsylvania Avenue after 11 days in that unbelievably humiliating experience? Am I feeling better since then? And the answer is a resounding yes. The, the flip side, though, is I am so happy that I went through that because I don't think I would be the person that I am today had I not gone through that. Uh, I think I'm more psychologically minded. I think I'm more aware of 
what is going on around me and I'm less tunneled in. And I think we always run that danger in life. You know, many of us are very ambitious. I'll confess to you guys that, you know, I am an ambitious person. I grew up in a blue collar family. I wanted to live some level of the arc of the American dream and some and get to some level of financial independence. And I got tunneled in to certain ideas and certain totems. Getting my ass kicked like that, uh, I think woke my ass up a little bit. Yeah. Well, that's the American story, too. We want to build people up. We like to tear them down. We like to bring them back. But I think what's the most important thing in there is keeping your integrity, right? Staying up for who you are, realizing who you are. And I want to, I want to bring that into the election. And let's talk about integrity oh, within yeah, you the gotta, election. You got to be really careful about that because you have manipulative politicians. And if, particularly if you're working for a manipulative politician, they can move the goalposts on you and they can continue to move the goalposts. And it's that proverb about the frog. You know, you're slowly boiling the frog. You sit him in cold water. He's burnt to a crisp. And so that's what manipulators do to people. Mr. Trump has done that to many, many people. The people that he could not do that to have left. You know, I think you'll find the 86 people that have departed the White House. Uh, and notwithstanding me, I mean, I, I'm personally accountable for my goof. I did something fireball. Let's take me out of the equation. I'm talking about guys like Mattis or Kelly or McMaster or Tillerson, uh, they all have one thing in common. They were not beholden to Mr. Trump. They had great love for the country and they had great love for their families. And they were doing it not for political expediency, the job that is, and they were doing it not because they were beholden to him economically. You know, I listened to somebody like Carl Rove on the uh, Fox News channel, I laugh. I mean, the guy's in the tank for Trump. He's being paid by the campaign. Uh, and so, of course, he's going to spout the, that verbiage like a good mercenary. But you take a guy like Jim Mattis, he doesn't care about money. Trust me, John Kelly doesn't care about money. I think, I think you may remember this from the SALT conference. Uh, Kelly fired me, uh, but he was my uh, keynote speaker and my prima facie guest at the, at the SALT conference. Him and I have developed a great relationship. I'm taking him with me to Iowa in January to give a speech to 5,000 Iowa farmers. Um, and, uh, you know, life goes on. But the point being, integrity, you got to be very careful. Uh, if I'm being open and honest, I fucked myself up with Trump because I did some morally equivocating things. I'll give you an example. He's calling Mexicans rapists. I'm like, okay, yeah, he didn't really mean it. He's doing, uh, he's calling for a Muslim ban. Again, I'm going back to 15 and 16. Okay, you know, he didn't really mean it. Okay, he didn't really mean it. At some point you're like, okay, what are you doing? You know, why are you equivocating like that? Why are you moving the goalposts like that? Somebody said to me last year, after I met you guys, they said, well, you know, Trump's the same guy. If you remember, I was still trying to support Trump when uh, we met in May of 2019. By August of 2019, at his highest poll numbers, I said, no, Moss, I can't take it anymore. I disavow my support of him. He's going to lose the election. There's something crazy about him. And he'll do something crazy that will be uh, a reckoning for the American people. Uh, at that point, it looked like a kamikaze raid. You know, I was just by myself, no other Republicans with me. Uh, somebody asked me, a journalist said, well, you know, he's the same guy that he was in 2015. Why? all of a sudden, did you change on him? And my answer is, well, you know, uh, fellas, he may be the same guy that he was in 2015, but I'm not the same guy. I am a totally different guy. I am a 
more psychologically aware person and I'm aware of the danger of the demagoguery that he represents. And so a result of which I feel compelled to speak out about it. Well, you talk about the dangers and, you know, you're talking about manipulating and moving the goalposts. What about the questioning of the credibility of the election? You know, the putting fear in people's minds of, of um, you know, just manipulating ballots or, you know, just fraud amongst the election and, you know, voter suppression is the end of it. I mean, we, we call ourselves a democracy. We're kind of a republic more than a democracy, right? When you really think about it. Well, However, but, but you know, in the essence, you see, this is like the guy from uh, Utah, Mike Lee. He says we're not a democracy. You know, he sounds like a dummy. You know, we we are technically a representative Republican democracy. So everybody does have a vote. But what our founding fathers were very worried about was mob rule. They were worried that mobs and the madness of crowds, sometimes they can do things that need checks. And so if you think about the layers of our political system, you've got a number of different things going on. You have checks and balances to protect the branches of government and diffuse the power at the top. But then you also have minority rights. And I'm not talking about African-Americans or Hispanics. I'm talking about if you are not in the popular vote category, your team lost the popular vote, you still have a say. And let me give you some vivid examples of that. You have two senators in California where you guys are right now, but there's also two senators in Rhode Island. And so that's not proportional, uh, but yet uh, that allows Rhode Island to have some power at the table, even though they're minority representative at that table in terms of their population. And so that's the electoral college. That's why the electoral college is put in place. And so now what's happening is the Republicans have figured out over 30 years, they're the minority party. They have less voter registrations. They're less popular than the Democrats, yet they've won several presidential elections. Uh, they've, they've controlled the House and the Congress for large swaths of time. And they now have six conservatives on the Supreme Court, even though when you look at the voter registration, they are less registered in terms of their voters relative to the Democrats. And so the great irony of what's going on right now, 244 years later, the tyranny, we were trying to protect ourselves from the tyranny of the majority, but the Republicans have figured out a system to create the tyranny of the minority. And so that's making people very upset. And so we have to hit a reboot, we have to reset the system, make it a little bit fairer once again. And I predict that that will happen. Uh, but just think about this before we go to something else. Uh, the states of North and South Dakota, they have the combined population of the island of Manhattan. Yet those two states have four senators for that small population. And the island of Manhattan, of course, is represented by the two senators that represents the third most populous state in the union. And so we're going to figure this out, you know, and because it's not going to end well if we continue on the course that we're on. Right. You're bringing up tyrannical rule and, you know, dictatorships, demagogues. How, how do we get here and what do we do to change it? Right. Because a lot, I think a lot of people want something different. That, that's why President Trump was elected, was that they wanted something different. And pe now, now people seem to be fearful of something different besides what we have, too. So how, how do we how do we get back to that? Because I, you bring up a great point, because the whole point, I think, of democracy is to try to help the underrepresented. It's to help the suppressed. It's the people who don't have you know, the majority rule. It shouldn't always just be a majority. It's equal rights, right? It's freedoms, right? 
And some of those have been suppressed, um, not not just in this administration, but over the course of decades, as you said. Well, I mean, you know, listen, I mean, it's a great point, but I, I think, and I want to be fair to President Trump, uh, he, a lot of his message resonated. He's just unfortunately the wrong messenger. He has too many personality flaws. He has a lack of intellectual curiosity about the system. He doesn't understand the sacred nature of the system. And so therefore he's trying to subvert the system so he can gain more power. That's not how the system's designed. And so I'll just take you very quickly to a very quick historical story. You could find this on YouTube. Uh, a year after President Kennedy had spent a year in the White House, a year after his inauguration, Huntley and Brinkley went to the Oval Office to interview him. And he's sitting there with them and it's uh, an unplugged, very natural interview. He says, well, I got elected after I came out of the war, I got elected to the House of Representatives. And I was over there looking over at the other chamber and saying, man, that's where the action is. It's in the Senate. And so I got myself elected to the Senate. And I said, oh, wow, there's no action here. I got to get down Pennsylvania Avenue into the Oval Office. That's got to be where the action is. And he told Huntley and Brinkley, he says, so I'm here a year. And I figured out there's no action here either. And he was making a point about the system. And it was a little sarcastic, but it was it was reverence for the system. He was making a point that the system is well designed so that no one person can have some level of autocratic rule. No one person can subvert the system. And so we now have a experiment going on where we have a leader that believes that he's above that system and he wants to challenge that system. And so he's taken it uh, to the nth degree. And now he's figured out that he can win primarily and only if he suppresses the votes. So go look at the polling stations in Georgia in the African-American and blue areas and look at the polling stations in the white areas and the Republican areas in a per capita basis in Georgia. And then you'll say, okay, now I understand why Stacey Abrams lost that election. And so if you look at what's going on in Georgia, African-Americans are lining up 10, 12 hours to vote. Now, when you and I were kids, if we looked at that, we'd say, wow, we got to send Jimmy Carter in there to observe these elections. They don't seem to be free and fair elections. And so if you're not concerned about that as an American, you should be. And so business leaders, friends of mine that support President Trump, I'm like looking at him saying, OK, you're missing the whole plot line here uh, because you may like his business policies, you may like his tax cut, but if he disrupts the entire system, and he shakes the roots of legal precedent in the country and he damages the democracy, you're gonna destroy the way capital flows into our society because international capital pours into the United States because the people of the world have a belief in the United States and they have a belief in the rule of law. You know, It doesn't pour into Venezuela or China because they know that the laws there can be capricious and they can be mixed up or changed as the result of a whim of an autocrat. And so, you know, you got to be very, very careful what we're doing here. So for me, I want to speak out about it. I want to explain it to people. And I want to tell them, you know, we got to cut the nonsense. Whatever you think of Joe Biden, he's not a threat to the American system. Whatever you think of Joe Biden, he will work on trying to restore the damage that's been done to some of these uh, sacred institutions of our democracy. So, yeah. I mean, you, you may have about saw the Supreme Court case. It's a ridiculous case. Brett Kavanaugh is writing. Uh, he's uh, evaluating Bush versus Gore. And he's saying, as it relates to you know, the uh, state of Wisconsin, uh, if the ballot is postmarked on election day, 
but it arrives after election day, uh, they're not going to count the ballot. Okay, why are you guys doing that? I mean, I understand it's not election month, but it's always been election week for mail-in ballots. You've always given some period of time, particularly if the person got the vote in on time. And think about our business, there's a trade date and a settlement date. And you're in the middle of a pandemic. The two of you guys are wearing masks. I'm not because I'm in my home. But, uh, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic. There's a lot of people voting by mail. And so you got to think about the subversion of our democracy by people like Brett Kavanaugh, which then further causes people to question the legitimacy of the Supreme Court. Why, why are we going in that direction in our country? And it's not a direction we should be going in. And so, you know, I have no problem speaking out against it, fellas, and I'm going to continue to speak out against it. And I will say this, if Trump is defeated next week, and I predict he will be, we still have a major problem because demagogues like Trump bubble up and they bubble up due to system failure and they bubble up due to a rise of populism in a group of people that are very disaffected by the system. That's the question. I mean, we're sitting here in the midst of a pandemic and it's changed the way that we've conducted our daily life. And, you know, as you point out, it's changed the way that we're going to be proceeding around the election. What is the chance, I mean, that we're going to have a clean outcome, election outcome as a result of, you know, the, the changes that we've seen? I mean, how it's whether or not it goes contested or uncontested, whether or not the, the future administration is deemed as credible and therefore you know, accepted for the next four years going through 2024. You know, Mr. Trump's not going to care about that, really. You know, he, he's going to be more focused on uh, whether or not he can stay in power. I and mean, he's making the bet that he's going to lose the popular vote, but they're going to invalidate enough votes in the battleground, battleground states due to mail irregularities or a failure of procedure that he'll win the election. That's what he's hoping. And whether or not that's fair or not, he doesn't care because it doesn't matter to him. And then his next move will be two or three years out. They'll tell Mike Pence to leave. He'll appoint Ivanka Trump to be the uh, vice president. He'll try to figure out a way if he could extend his term. If he can't extend his term, he'll resign to allow Ivanka Trump to be the first woman president of the United States. And then she'll face whoever her competitor is as an incumbent. You know, and so when you think about the breaking of all of these norms that he's doing, okay, I, you know, I don't like it. And I think it's very damaging to our economic commerce in our country, is very damaging to our political discourse, and is very damaging to our standing in the world. So that's an interesting perspective. I'd say no way, but I can totally visualize as you laid it out there. But let, let's talk about some of the policies, because not all policies are bad and all the policies have been good. But, you know, you, you've been very vocal about trade, right? And I think the last time we sat down, we, we spent a bit on it. And what do you think about the ascent of other powers? And we think of China and some of the IP violations and the like. Um, I, I think, you know, a lot of us as capitalists feel that there should be, you know, checks and balances there, right? You can't just steal other people's IP and the like. So you think about some of the policies that were in motion prior to the pandemic. How do you think that those, how do you think that plays out as we continue forward? Let's say we get a change in administration. Do you think that there's still such a, a strong hand on China? Is it necessary? How are you thinking about it as a trade expert? Because I think of you as a trade expert as well. Well, I mean, you guys may remember our conversation from 18, 19 months ago, where I said 
that Mr. Trump has good instincts. I'm not a guy that demonized Mr. Trump or the president about everything. His instincts on China is that correctly, as China was rising and our establishment leadership called for a peaceful rise, the reason why Joe Biden was praising China and the World Trade Organization, uh, the United States under President Clinton pushed for China's introduction into WTO is because we were trying to onboard as many poor people into the Western consumption-based style of capitalism that we could think of. And we knew that China, without some kind of capitalist rubric plugged into the global system, uh, there would be tens of millions of people starving and we needed to sort of urbanize those people. And so we wanted to help China do that because again, if you think about Dean Atkinson and George Marshall and Harry Truman and uh, Dwight Eisenhower, the post-World War II architecture and the ideas behind it was there was some benevolence about America and we were gonna raise living standards around the world, create more global trade, more global integration and rising middle-class living standards around the world would reduce conflict. And that ultimately worked. You know, We've had proxy wars. We had one in Korea, one in Vietnam, obviously the Middle Eastern wars, the Gulf wars. It's not a perfect system, but we've avoided a large scale 50, 60, 70 million casualty global conflict in 80 years. And if you study 6,000 years of world history, uh, we like beating the shit out of each other. We like going to war a lot. In Europe, since Charlemagne, they went to war every century. They had at least one or two major fights. We've gone 75, 80 years now where there's been relative peace around the world. So, so you have to step back and understand why we did this. And now secondarily, you have to say, okay, do we need to right-size this for the American worker? Have we, unfortunately, one of the deleterious byproducts of this strategy was we weakened our manufacturing base and we lowered the living standards for a large group of Americans that are now dissatisfied and are hearing the clarion call of, of populism and all the anger associated with it. And they're like, yeah, I'm in for that. Let's start beating the hell out of these elites. And so for me, I would want everybody to step back. What I said to you guys last time is he's right on his idea of right-sizing and re-engineering the trading system, but the way he's gone about it has been extremely flawed. Uh, we sat in meetings with him in December of 2016. We said, listen, if you want trade parity with China, totally justifiable. Go to the Chinese and say, you got to bring your tariffs down or we have to move our tariffs up. Chinese will say, move your tariffs up. Okay, no problem. We're going to move our tariffs 2% a quarter for 10 quarters. And in two and a half years, we'll be at tariff parity. And that would have given supply chains and business leaders, large and small, the opportunity to adjust to that situation. But Mr. Trump is such an egomaniac. I'm putting the tariffs on. I'm taking the tariffs off. We have tariff roulette. Maybe we're going to add a 5% tariff to Mexico. I may do this. I may do that. Oh, by the way, the only reason why I'm doing this is the only thing I really care about is me. Because when I do a new search, all I care about is T-R-U-M-P. I'm not searching USA. I'm not searching Y-O-U. I don't give two shits about Y-O-U. I mean, don't make me laugh. All I search is T-R-U-M-P. And if I'm in the news, that's satiating my ego. And so me flippantly going back and forth in, in a tariff toggle with the Chinese, it's keeping me in the news and it may or may not be helping anybody else. Second thing that he did was we told him, you know, we're stronger together with our alliances. 
So the Europeans, there's 500 million people in that trading block, they have the same grievances with the Chinese. Let's team up. It's a billion plus people. We can then turn to China and say, we're speaking with one voice. We want to renegotiate this trade, but we're going to do it together. Mr. Trump didn't want to do that. You have to ask yourselves, why is he denigrating Western democratic leaders and praising dictators and autocrats? Why is he doing that? Okay, now, you know, I know the answer to that. You guys know the answer to that. And it's disgusting. Okay, so, so, so we mishandled the trade situation. But if you're telling me, yes, we need to right size the trade situation, it'll be better for American wages, working class wages. It'll be better for America to no longer treat China like it's a developing nation. I'm all about that. I'm for that. But why not do it with great strategic thinking as opposed to narcissistic, egocentric whims? That's my question to everybody. Well, you mentioned, um, you know, fairness of wages and labor. And here we are mired in a recession. Uh, we have a big problem in the labor market. We have a big displacement, a lot of temporary displacement. Some of it's become permanent. A lot of furloughs we've seen as of late. Here we are still having a health pandemic, getting some of the worst readings that we've had in number of cases. Um, and you think about the labor market and you're talking about trade policies. H how do we rebound from this in terms of healing this? Because typically healing the labor market takes many, many years, right? Even with the temporary displacement. And so, you know, we, we look at the deficits, we look at the policies and we had a huge increase in the deficit. There was no fiscal hawks whatsoever, it seemed like in the last four years or so. And on top of that, you now have this big hole in the economy. So how do you, how do you envision it? You know, what's, what's the advice out there to, to think about it? What, obviously we need good paying jobs. We need people to get to work. That's the American spirit. How do we go about doing it? What do we do from these levels today? Well, I mean, I, I, I think you're identifying everything. And so let me say a couple of things. Uh, the first thing I'm going to say, I think, is 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 not that complicated, but it's there's no political will to do it. Let's compare ourselves to Germany and Austria for a second, because they have the highest density of manufacturing labor in the West. Germany is in a recession now because of COVID, but they had a 17 year expansion. Australia, as an example, had a 29 year expansion. They're in a recession now because of COVID but they were expanding beautifully for almost three decades. And so one of the hallmarks of their expansion is the education and retraining of their workers. And so I just want you to think of a unit of money and a per capita situation. It's 20X per German worker or Austrian worker relative to the US. So we talk about it, we pay lip service to it, but we do nothing about it. And so we go to Germany and we say, wow, your, your people are retrained. They were in an assembly line. The robot took over the assembly line. Now they've moved over to software. How did you magnificently do that? And the answer is, well, we, we, we magnificently did that through 20X what you're spending on training and retooling through government programs. And so we're not doing that. So I got really bad news for you guys and for the listeners of this podcast. If everyone can be pissed off at me, that's fine. But I'm going to tell you the truth. This is not solvable by a politician. It's not solvable in a two-year election cycle, four-year or six-year election cycle. But it is solvable over 10, 15, or 20 years. You'd have to actually sit down, 
you'd have to have a private public partnership between the government and corporations large and small and you'd have to say we're going to invest and the government's going to match you by a quantum what you're investing in your workforce and it'll take a period of time it's not going to happen overnight but over time that workforce will get an uplift in re-education and then become a practical solution for either manufacturers, software developers, you pick the business, you pick the industry that they wanna go in. And so this is not something that's gonna be cured overnight. Uh, politicians don't like talking about it because there's no easy solution. Um, you guys are identifying it because you're capitalists, um, uh, but that's where we gotta go with it. And, and no one's talking about it. And I'll say something rhetorically to you guys and to the listeners, who among us knows one politician with a 20 year plan for America? So a 20 year plan for infrastructure, a 20 year plan for right sizing the K through 12 and evening the educational system, the private edu educational system versus the public education system in America. A 20 year plan for the training that I'm talking about. Who, wh where are the plans? We got no plans. No one's like thinking about that's it. How Here, we think about let's, let's beat the living daylights out of each other on cable news and on podcasts. I was on Bill Hemmer's show today on Fox. Uh, I'm trying to make a point. Wait a minute. I'm breaking the uh, propaganda distortion bubble of Fox News by telling them facts. They don't want to hear it, so they start interrupting me. Okay, you're successful. You big-footed me. You interrupted me. You went to commercial break. Okay, that's great. Let's get. Let's start. The, let's start again. Think about how Trump campaigns. Think about the manipulation of his sound bites. Think about where directionally he's preying on people. And he's trying to divide us as a country. You know, now you may not say that Joe Biden is the best candidate, uh, but I'm asking people to appeal to their patriotism more to, than to partisanship. Mr. Trump has no policies for this economy. They don't go by me. Look at the uh, look at the, the JP Morgan report. Look at the Moody's report. Look at the new Goldman Sachs report that compare the economic policies of these of these two candidates, these three august. Uh, places, compare them, and they find out, lo and behold, that Joe Biden's policies are better than Mr. Trump's or President Trump. So, so look, I, I'm telling you, we got a huge problem. We got a very large group of people that are disaffecting from the system. Um, we're doing well uh, just by the fact that we can run our lives and our businesses virtually is a sign that we're white collar people. And so therefore we're in the haves. So there's a very large group of people in our country that have to work with their hands and they have to be present for their jobs. Okay. And they're typically in lower wage jobs than the white collar people. And so now they're at greater risk. Now look at how we handle the pandemic. We have a full on jackass who is denying the science of the pandemic. And we've got media propaganda machines that are allowing that to happen rather than look at look at what happened in Germany. Look what happened in South Korea. South Korea, it's 20 deaths per million. In the United States, it's over 600 deaths per million. Why? Well, because one group of people said, okay, we got a full-on pandemic. Let's handle it the way scientists and epidemiologists would recommend it. And we have a full-on jackass, an orange painted, war painted jackass that is lying to people about the science, is lying to people about it. Okay, but wait a minute, Fox News tells me that he's okay. Well, he's not okay. Okay, and moreover, 
you've got the stupid culture war going on. So you've got people in the country, they're predominantly aging white people that buy catheters and my pillows from Fox News commercial breaks. And they're sitting there saying that Mr. Trump represents them in this great culture war. And God damn it, we got to vote for Mr. Trump come hell or high water, because if we don't, the radical left is coming up over the transom. They're going to come up over the transom and they're going to take over our culture and destroy our government. So therefore, Mr. Trump, shoot people on Fifth Avenue, lie about the science. Let's have hundreds of thousands of people die when we could have had tens of thousands or thousands of people die. You guys got to tell me enough is enough for a guy like me. You know, I'm 56 years old. I got five kids. I love my country. I've lived a very good part of the American dream. I want to tell the truth. What the hell are we doing? And why are we going in this direction when we all know better? Okay, because we're distracted and we're divided and we're focused on our businesses. Okay, we'll get in the game. And by the way, you guys live in California, right? So you got like a 55% tax. You're minority partners in your own lives. You know, your majority partner is uh, Eric Garcetti and Gavin Newsom and Donald Trump. They own your asses. So if a dollar comes into your asses, you get to keep 45 cents. Garcetti, Newsom, and Trump get the other 55 cents. You're minority partners in your own life. And don't forget so our better, sales tax, our gas tax. We're, we're still paying 60. And, yeah, What's we're that? 60 and, I said, don't forget the gas tax, you know, yeah, consumption tax. Yeah, consumption we, we get all those tax. levels, right? Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay, but so I, you're, I making, you're making my point exponentially. So Absolutely. therefore, shouldn't you get involved? And shouldn't you try to instigate policy? And shouldn't we have a liquidation of these extremes? You know, if we had mandatory voting in the country like they do in Australia, you would liquidate the radical left and right. Because most people are normal people. They don't give a shit about this nonsense. You said, okay, tell you what, it's a $3,000 tax. You got to get your ass to a poll or mail in a ballot. That's what they do in Australia. They got 86 to 87% voter participation. And then these jackass politicians, they have to change their marketing message. They have to change the bar of soap so that it's acceptable and attractive and smells right to the moderates, as opposed to the radical putrid nonsense that they're doing. So on that note, how, how, do, you, how do you feel about the turnout so far? The early voting, um, we've seen about 58 million people uh, reported that have already early voted. It sounds like a great number. It looks like we're moving in the right direction. Make everybody's voices heard. That's the democracy, right? Regardless of who you vote for, you know, we all have our ax to grind, but get out there, make your voice heard. How do you feel about that response right now? Do you, do you feel proud of the American populace? Yeah, I'm, today? Ener I'm, ener I'm energized by that response. I'm worried about the subversion in terms of invalidating some of those early votes. I'm worried about that, as I've described, but I love that. And I think it's an indication, gives me hope for the country. You know, I mean, that, you know, if, you know, again, you know, there are people predicting that, uh, Donald Trump will win. I predict that he will lose. Uh, either way, the country will survive. I'm not one of these, this is the end of times if uh, Donald Trump wins and all that stuff. I'm not one of those people. We'll survive anything because we're a great country. But what I like about where we are right now is that there are parallel lines that are moving over the last three months that are very consistent, meaning Joe Biden is between seven and 10% up in the polls nationally versus Donald J. Trump. And they've been moving since June into November. And they move like that with great stability 
great regularity come hell or high water. Conventions, October surprises, good and bad information. The numbers are moving just like this. Uh, the last time that happened was uh, the Dole campaign versus Clinton. Clinton won it. Prior to that, it was Mondale Reagan. Reagan won it. It was Nixon McGovern in 72. Nixon won it. In 64, it was Johnson and it was Goldwater and Johnson won it. And so what ends up happening, you see that history is a pretty good guide that uh, the guy that's on the bottom end of that is going to lose. Now, you tell me, you know, we, we know he's going to lose the popular vote. Is he going to come up with a scheme to win the electoral college? I don't know, but my money's against him because even if you factor in the margin of error, and even if you factor in the, uh, uh, the disguise or the hidden Trump voter, Biden still kicks his ass in. Yeah. So you talked about you talked about technological innovation. Yeah. You, you talked about technological innovation. And, um, you know, I, I've been seeing your salt talks as of late, too, and how you've pivoted. And so, you know, how, how can how can this country pivot? That's what I want to talk about, too, because, as you said, we're capitalists. We figure out ways to get this job done. We're always trying to innovate. We're trying to do new things. How can this country pivot from these levels? Like we're going to have an election. There's going to be a winner. As you said, we're going to go on. What do we do? What do we do? Well, I mean, you know, listen, I mean, the first thing you got to do is you got to declare a strategy and you got to say we're going to pivot. So when I returned, I got my ass kicked in Washington, brutally fired. The good news about me, it's very hard to cancel a son of a bitch like me in the cancel culture if I own my <laughs> own business. So I go back to my own business and I start running my business. You may not like me or you may like me, but fuck you. I own my own business. So now I'm back in my business and I say, OK, guys. We can't miss the next wave of innovation. We have to adapt. And so we're going to have guys coming to our conference that are talking about AI, venture capital. We have guys talking about Bitcoin and digital currencies. We're going to have the uh, double line guys coming to talk about the largest space in the world, which is fixed income from an asset class point of view. And we're going to uh, constantly innovate and constantly think about what our peer group needs to learn about if they want to stay current, you know? And, and so that's, that's my thinking. And so therefore you have to have a plan. If you're running the government, you got to have a vision for America. You got to say, okay, we're underweighted here. We're overweighted there. And we need to figure out a plan to make the weightings better. And, and by the way, I know there's a lot of American centrism and a lot of American exceptionalism. And I, I believe in American exceptionalism. I, 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 I understand what Lincoln said about America, it being the last best hope for mankind, because it's a polyglot, multi-ethnic, multi-diverse society. Uh, Lee Kuan Yew, the founder of Singapore, said something amazing about America. I always repeat it to people. He said, don't worry about America, because America can draw from the rest of the world. Each of you have an immigrant story. I have an immigrant story. And lo and behold, your grandparents or you can arrive in America. Five short years later, you're an American. You can't go to Singapore and be an American Singaporean or an American Japanese or an American German or an American Swiss. You can't go to the UAE and be an American Emirati, but the reverse is true. And a result of which this country can draw on the intellectual capital and resources from the rest of the world. Uh, and if we set up the immigration strategy properly, we'll always have a font of innovation. We'll always have the Albert Einsteins leaving somewhere to come here. Uh, so you got to lay it out. What do you want? 
Okay, some of it's great, some of it isn't great, and some people have better practices than we do. You know, the Australians, in my opinion, have two great practices that we should be adopting. No politician would want to adopt either of those policies. One is the universal voting. Politicians don't want that because how are they going to keep themselves in power? I got this whole thing figured out. I got my enemies gerrymandered out of my district, or I've got them pushed out of my state through tax policy, and I can stay in power for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. I don't want to, I don't want to have universal voting. That'll blow me out of the seat. Right. And so, but you have universal voting. And then the secondary thing that you have, which the Australians are better at than us, is that you're gonna have to have a safety check on people that get guns. All for the first, second amendment, excuse me, all for hunting. If you're a legitimate person, you wanna own a gun for recreational purposes or for hunting game, God may God bless you. But if you're Looney Tunes and you've got thoughts of death in your head and you wanna go into a school and hurt people, you can't have a gun. Okay, I'm sorry. We're not, we're going to prevent you. We're going to figure out a way to prevent you. Or we're going to figure out a way to digitize that trigger. So when you take that gun from somebody else, you can't use it if you're nuts. What's the problem with that? There's nobody that can convince me that there should be a problem with that. Nobody at the NRA, nobody in the Republican Party. But again, this is all about money. You know, this is why Bloomberg is successful. He's buying these people through his lobbying uh, organization. And they're starting to say, okay, the money's with Bloomberg. I'm gonna switch my vote on guns, you know? And, and I gotta give Mike a lot of credit because he's trying to do the right thing to help America. And look at what he did to the city of New York. Look at what this bozo is doing to the city of New York after he left. <laughs> so you talked about digitization. So tell me what you guys are working on at SkyBridge. You know, you're thinking about innovation, like you said, we've seen the SALT talks, they're great too. I mean, just world-class speakers, great topics. Talking, you said AI, you talk about digital currencies. You know, um, the, the trend this year has been SPACs. You know, what are you guys looking at as an investor right now? What, what kind of areas are I you have, thinking about broad, broad thematically? Well, I start, we started as a fund of funds. We've got 29,000 clients. If you remember from our conversation, we tried to democratize the hedge fund industry. So if you're, a dentist in Davenport, Iowa, you're drilling teeth, you've got a million dollars of net worth and you want to have hedge fund exposure, you can come to Skybridge, we'll give you $50,000 into Dan Loeb at Third Point and Paul Singer at Elliott. And there you go, lo and behold, you have this uh, amazing uh, diversified hedge fund portfolio. Um, and so when I got back, I said, okay, we got to start moving into other areas. And so now we do secondaries. And so if there's a pre-IPO company um, I may get a hold of it from my friends in Silicon Valley. Maybe there's some loose holders, uh, employees or VCs that want to sell. And then I match them with my clients and say, okay, you know, this is something that could go public in the next year or two. We can buy it at this price. It'll likely trade at that price upon a public offering. Do you want it? So we've done a series of special purpose vehicles for that. We're likely a year from now as we're talking, we'll probably be in the digital currency space, you know, We'll probably have a Bitcoin uh, fund or an Ethereum, something, a digital currency fund. It may not necessarily be one. I can't figure out digital currencies 100%. I don't know if we are uh, with the Google of currency, that being Bitcoin, or if Bitcoin is Yahoo. You know, I'm old enough to remember when Yahoo and SGs were competing with each other to be the search engine. And lo and behold, they got uh, big footed by Google. 
there may be another digital currency on the horizon that's bigger than these two. Uh, and you may have sovereigns enter the digital currency space, which will also be disruptive. And so, but I do think we need to be in digital currency as an asset class. And so we'll probably have something uh, that we like, that we'd put our own money in that we'll offer out to our clients. Soon. You talked about central bank uh, digital currencies, which I, I think is amazing that this, this to me kind of came out of nowhere. And I think it's been accelerated. I won't say exacerbated, but I'll say accelerated by the pandemic because we saw how difficult it was to get money through the banking system, right? And now you have essentially the ability to monetize through the central banks, which is a different ball game. That that's not that's not the fiscal side, right? That's supposed to be the monetary side. And so, um, what what's your thoughts on that? I know it's cursory and it's still being talked about. How do you think that influences? And should the U.S. be an innovator and a player early into this? I know like Sweden's been there and the likes, right? Sam, you've seen some of that stuff. And so China's there. What, what do you think about that? Should the U.S. be a player in that? The U.S. is going to wait because the U.S. is AT&T. The U.S. is the copper wire in the ground or the copper wire on the telephone pole. So it's going to wait as long as possible. It's going to want to control its monopoly position as long as possible because we've done two things with our currency. We've moved it around to protect our people. In some cases, we've lowered the living standards of our people by devaluing our currency, monetizing our debt. In other cases, we've delayed the financial apocalypse by the continuation of printing money. Um, and so we're going to continue to do that because, you know, we think we think that's in our best interest. We sort of have a monopoly power. It's the reserve currency. We have a lot of flexibility. And we're sitting on a lot of debt. And so if we keep rates low, we can afford the debt. So I don't see the United States being compelled to create its own digital currency. It certainly moved aggressively at Facebook to block the introduction of Libra by Facebook. The United States did not want that by any means. I haven't heard of that in months now. Yeah, it's been a, it's yeah, been a they while. Don't, they right? don't yeah. want their yeah. citizens. They're okay with Bitcoin. They're not in love with the illegal applications of Bitcoin, but they are in sort of agnosticism towards its existing and they it's going to exist one way or another and they're not going to be able to control it uh, but they don't want something like libra um so they went they went hard at that company to prevent it um but i think you know for the united states what i'm worried about is you know even you know whether you're a modern monetary theorist or not you're living in a world of modern monetary theory where they're going to print unlimited amounts of money and borrow unlimited amounts of money to prop up the government, whether you like it or not. Now, if you're Stephanie Kelton that wrote the deficit myth, you're okay with it. If you're a classical economist, you're less okay with it. You're thinking it's going to eventually have an impact on living standards. But one thing it's definitely doing is it's cheapening your money. So if you have all that money in the system, you're getting asset inflation. So you just have to think about why Bitcoin is doing so well. If I just added $4 trillion of money to the American economy or the global economy, it should show up in asset prices, right? And so therefore my Netflix stock should be higher, my Amazon stock should be higher, right? But if I have a constant supply of Bitcoin, you know, therefore it is a store of value on a relative basis because you're not subjected to the fiat whims of a central bank. Does that make sense? The other, thing we're doing, the other thing we're doing with our currency is we're using it as a police force. So if you're in 
Korea, we're going to sanction you. If you're in Iran, we're going to sanction you. We're going to cripple you, freeze your assets, make it difficult for you to trade in the currency of choice, the global reserve currency. And so that's pissing people off. It's creating unnatural alliances. It's not impossible to see the Russians and the Iranians and the Chinese teaming up on a digital currency that they start to transact in. And so, you know, it's, it's weird for me to say it this way, but I think you guys will get this. Peter Thiel says it. AI is almost like socialism, right? The Chinese, Chinese party is investing a lot in AI. They're trying to figure out what you say, what you do. They're going to give you points if you're well-behaved. They're going to take points away from you if you're not well-behaved. And they're doing this through this whole AI system, cameras and so forth around the police state that you're living in. But crypto is the opposite of AI. It is libertarian because crypto is, okay, it's multi-sourced. It's an unbreakable code effectively. And so therefore you can always take a store of value with you wherever you're going. And so it's a fascinating thing. You've got a war going on between the libertarians and the communists or the socialists. It's, yeah, it's, appreciate those thoughts. It's always interesting getting your thoughts. Um, we've kind of guided you along the way with some questions here, but uh, and you also mentioned earlier that you frequently get interrupted in the, in the outlets that you speak to. But if we were just to give you the open plat, open mic right now, what's top of mind for you? Anything you want to talk about? What's bothering you? What you what you know, you're excited look, I mean, about? The top, top of mind for me is we got to get the disease under control. Whatever you think of Mr. Trump's policies, he sucks at the science and the epidemiology of COVID. And his chief of staff basically said, hey, man, we're not going to be able to control it. And so we're only going to be able to control it through vaccinations and therapy. Uh, and that's got you know tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands more people dying unnecessarily. Whereas if you just said, OK, the Germans are doing this better than us, we're going to adopt their standard. Let me, let me tell you something. You could Google this today. Vladimir Putin went with a national mask mandate. Okay, isn't that Trump's boy? That's his butt boy, right? He went with it. And by the way, I guarantee you that Putin is not Trump's butt boy. It's just Trump being a sycophant to Putin, thinking he can get some business dealings with him after he leaves office. I, I guarantee that Putin is actually laughing at Trump in terms of his full on buffoonery. And he's enjoying the useful idiot nature of Trump as Trump destabilizes the great American power and the great American democracy. But, but if you said what's top of mind is a priori, we gotta get to a nationally coordinated strategy, the federal government with the 50 states and its governors to put down this virus. And that doesn't mean close the economy, that means shut down the virus. Because I'm telling you right now, I can mask up, I can come into your office, I can have the virus and not give it to you. There were two women that opened up their salon and they both had COVID. They had 36 guests come in. They were masked. Their customers were masked. Nobody got the COVID. They, they realized they had COVID. They quarantined and it was a good success story. My doctor, you probably heard this analogy. I hadn't heard it before. If you're naked and I'm naked and I go to pee on your leg, I'm going to get a lot of urine on your leg. If I'm got a pair of denim jeans on and you're naked, I go to pee on your leg. I'm probably not going to get a lot of pee on your leg. If you've got denim jeans on and I've got denim jeans on and I go to pee on your leg, 
you're not getting any pee on your leg. So the point being is if we're both wearing masks, there's no virus transmission. There's no aerosol that's gonna catch us. There's no viral load that's gonna create an infection that's gonna incapacitate us or God forbid, kill one of our elderly parents. What the hell are we doing? How, how are we listening to this buffoon? How is a large group of people, and by the way, I understand that he's a buffoon and he's a manipulative demagogue, but Mitch McConnell knows better. Kevin McCarthy knows better. Rupert Murdoch knows better. What the hell are these guys doing? Yeah, I never, my doctor never told me the P analogy, but I think it's a good one for uh, people who don't understand a lot of science. So I think that was a good one. I mean, um, look, I mean, I, it's a little gross, but I'm just telling you, you know, if I got my pants on and you got your pants on, it'd be very hard to have my urine hit you. <laughs> yeah, well, as you see, Sam's sitting a distance away from me. We're masked up. We know each other. We both don't feel we have it, but we're doing the right thing because we think it's the right thing, right? And, you know, I was oh, raised... I, I respect it. I, I have a lot of respect. And trust me, I would be wearing a mask right now but I don't need to because I'm sitting here in my house by myself. Right. So I want to give you one last thing. What's, what's the thing you want to tell all of our listeners today outside of, we got to get this under control, but what's the one message you want to get out absolutely today? We're seven days from election. What is the thing you want to tell people? Well, I don't want to get, be cliche and say vote. So I'll say something different. I'll say take an hour a week, take two hours a week, and read something outside of your area of expertise. Okay, if you look around in here, okay, I'm spending a lot of time reading, okay? That's not just for decoration, okay? And my room rater is nine out of 10 because the books are horizontal. Should be 10 <laughs> out of 10, by the way, because I got a very cool Muhammad Ali picture behind me. But they, <laughs> they fucked me out of the one point because the books are horizontal because I, I can't fit them in there if they're vertical. But, but what I would tell people is take an hour out of your day and read, read. I like it. And it's it's not read what you're used to. Read something different. Read, read something, something with a different view. Read something that's outside of your bailiwick. Read something that you thought was a course you were going to take as an undergrad. You never got to it, but God damn it, you're going to open up a book related to it right now, which hopefully will get you thinking creatively in a different direction that you're currently thinking. And that's why you got that entrepreneurial spirit. So, Mooch, we thank you. But before you go, there's one thing that Sam must do, and that's his favorite part of the show. So, Sam, why don't you let him know what it is? All right. Mr. Scaramucci, that favorite part of the show is Sherman Says. And what I'll do is I'll, alternate, I'll uh, offer a series of alternating prompts between Sherman and yourself, start, and to which you'll provide a top-of-mind response. So the first one's going over the Sherman with small businesses struggling uh, over to the mooch but critical but critical let's let's back them let's figure out a way to get it i had a webcast today okay, mooch, so and I, I told I'm everybody responding to the same i'm responding to the same words right small businesses i was going to give you a different one here okay, okay give me a yeah. different one guys. yeah but what i'm saying though is I, I was talking on the webcast and it's everybody also if you're going to go buy something it's holiday season at least do one thing with a small business get out there support your fellow Americans and do that because that's another way we can get this stuff back together. Support one another. Support mom and pops. Yep. All right. Over to you, uh, Mooch with two party system. Broken.
political polarization. Rampant. U.S. Senate. N needs to be restructured. The, the, the rules of engagement in the center, Senate need to be restructured. Income taxes. Increasing. Journalistic integrity. Mixed. U.S. foreign relations. Strained but fixable. Justice Barrett. Qualified. Social Security. Necessary. Can't, and the last one here is cancel culture. Sucks. Needs to be repudiated. First Amendment, baby. Let people say what they need to do, yeah, it's right? It's ridiculous. I mean, it's enough of that bullshit. You know what I mean? Enough virtue signaling. Just, just let's have a civil discourse and let's not immediately, with that such sanctimony and self-righteousness. Okay, yes, they're bad actors. I get it. We got to put them in a penalty box. But, you know, we, we still should believe in redemption and, and trying to get the country and people to heal. And we should give, we have to forgive people for their mistakes. Let's bring That's back right. some discourse, too. Yep, yep absolutely. And you can even be the president of you've shown as well. So, Mooch, we thank you. It's awesome. Guys, great, great to have you. Keep great, doing the good work. Yeah, keep doing the good work. Get out there. Let people know what's going on. Keep up the work with your firm. We really appreciate they, it. Before we go, because I'm more concerned about how I look. How did the hair look, though? Is it all right? The, the hair is much better than mine. Sam's, he's been growing his since you seen him last time. I don't know if you could see him, but oh, he's longer than mine. You guys so. are fairly hair suit. I'm impressed with the hair suit <laughs> nature. Yeah, okay, I'm going to have to look that I, one I would, up. I, just, I would ask because I've got a, uh, I got a beat up on Trump now for primetime cable. Okay. Well, They're hopefully we gave you the yeah, sparring you like, to get your. You look more like shit when we get closer to you, to be yeah. honest. You look okay. better okay. when we were zoomed out. But okay, let's go back out. There we go. Our cameraman <laughs> is doing us justice by keeping I'm it kidding. out. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah. No, but that said, uh, hopefully we gave you a good sparring uh, warm up. I, and, uh, I, I, I hope you guys won't bite me back. Yeah, I absolutely. Won't be another 18 months, all right? Absolutely. And uh, keep up the great work with the Salt Talks. And as always, it's a pleasure. Thanks, Mooch. All right, great, great care. Great being right on here. with you guys. God right. bless. Yeah. Have a good one. The audio presentation represents DoubleLine's intellectual property. No portion of this presentation may be published, reproduced, transmitted, or rebroadcast in any media in any form without express written permission of DoubleLine. DoubleLine has no obligation to provide any updates or changes. To receive permission from DoubleLine, please contact media at DoubleLine.com. Neither DoubleLine nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast and any liability therefor, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage is expressly disclaimed. DoubleLine is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice in this podcast. The receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as 
constituting the giving of investment advice by any double-line entity or individual to that listener, nor to constitute such person a client of any double-line entity. The portfolio risk management process includes an effort to monitor and manage risk, but does not imply low risk. Copyright 2020 Double Line Capital.